Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alderman, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, tune to us. We'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901. That'll get you right straight to us. That's right. And you put a 225 in front of that. You can reach us from anywhere in the continental United States this morning. We'd sure love to hear from you and get different opinions on what's going on, different perspectives around the country. Well, that's right. I tell you, we're looking outside. It's absolutely gorgeous day. About what, 69, uh, 70 degrees? Something like that. Wow. I had a fellow who emailed a little earlier in this week. He says, yeah, you can stand an egg on its end. Just take it out and sit in a snow blanket. <laughs> 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 I said, man, that's a shame. That ain't right. <laughs> I'm telling you. It's still a lot of cold weather all around the country, but it's been very, very pleasant here. So It has. And it may not be over here yet. That's true. It may be... 30 degrees tomorrow. <laughs> uh, that's it. That's it. I have been wearing a big old wool jacket in Easter here. Well, that's true. Before. That is absolutely right. But give us a call. It's 291 6901. We'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction and kind of get you some free advice and maybe keep you from making a mistake. There you go. And drifting you... off on a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to the phone lines. We got Frank online. Good morning, Frank. Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning. I've, I've called before about a 2007 Ford Ranger I have. I okay. had a rough idle. Okay. And it's running rough when I get maybe between 40 and 50 miles per hour. Mm -hmm. Well, it never threw a code before. This morning I got in it, and now it's giving me two codes that mm -hmm. I found out from the parts house. And one of them is P305, and one's a P316. Okay, well, one is a misfire on cylinder number five, and the other one is just a general misfire. Cylinder six, but it can't determine exactly. That's, that's a manufacturer's code. If it's got a one in that position after the P, it's not an SAE code. It's a manufacturer's code, but they both basically mean the same thing. That's going to be misfires on two cylinders, Frank. You just need to go down and see what is peculiar to those two cylinders, and I would start with cylinder number five. The easiest way to determine that without test equipment would be to go in first and maybe swap the spark plug from five to four. Okay. And then see if the misfire moves to cylinder four. Right. If that doesn't, then take the plug wire and move it five to four and see if it moves. And You can go on pretty much infinitely like that, eventually maybe take the fuel injector from five and move it to four. Anyway, when you see what causes the misfire to move, then you know the offending problem. And this is much superior to going in just putting new parts because right. new parts are never known good parts. You can actually go in and, say, replace the plugs, the wires, and all that stuff, get another bad one, still have a problem, and never solve anything. So that's just a way better approach to doing it in if you move the stuff individually from five to four or three or whatever, see which one causes the misfire to move. If nothing you move causes the misfire to move, the next thing you do is go to do a compression test on the motor okay. because it's possible you could have a valve that's sticking or some internal engine problem. But since that's a lot harder than moving plugs and wires, you do the easy stuff first. Right. But Let that's, me ask you this. Mm -hmm. In my owner's manual, it says that if I have a misfire, my engine light's going to come on, but it's going to blink. It's going to flash. Well, that depends. See, Ford is very, very peculiar about the way it counts misfires. For Ford to set a check engine light, it has to see a certain number of misfires occurring at a certain RPM range, and it has to repeat at least one or two times. In other words, if it gets a few misfires, it's not going to flag a light. It has to repeat a couple of times. It has to fail at least two tests. And let's say it misses at 1,000 RPM, and then it misses at 2,000. It doesn't call that the same thing. Right. So you could have several misfires and not throw a light or a code. With a forward scan tool, we use an IDS, which is a laptop-based forward tool. And that will do what they call a mode 6, where we can go in and actually watch the cylinders. And I can see it on that, whereas 
looking at an SAE code, that's, I'm not saying it's bad, it's just very limited information, and that's strictly for emissions purposes. That's so the state can track emissions problems and such. It's not really good, good diagnostic data. So you would need something like a Ford IDS to go in and really determine more than that. But by doing that substitution test, you can very easily come up with the offending item on it. Okay. And let me ask you this. Is it dangerous for the motor? Because in the yes. book it says that it misfires. Yes, can... absolutely. Every time that engine misfires, a charge of gasoline does not get burned, which means it goes out the exhaust valve, goes into the catalytic converter, and runs the temperature sky high. Okay. And I don't know if you ever priced a catalytic converter on a Ranger, but you're going to be in for an absolute shock when you see it. But yeah, that, that's why that light will flash when it gets a serious misfire because it's warning, hey, you got to stop. You can't keep going. A misfire will kill the cats very, very quickly. Okay, guys. Look, right. I appreciate your help. Okay, all right. right. Thanks, man. Bye bye. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. 291 6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would absolutely love to have you. Why don't you go and give us a call? And we're going back to the phone lines with Joe. Good morning, Joe. Hey, Lewis. How you doing? Doing great, sir. I have a 2005 GMC Envoy. Okay. My wife got in it the other morning. I wasn't here. She started and said it sounded like it was running rough. Mm-hmm. So the next day I get in, I crank it off and ran it. Ran it up to about 90 miles an hour. It ran fine. Yes, sir. She went to Watson yesterday with my daughter. She called me up and said it won't start. Mm-hmm. So I've come from Addison to Watson, got out there, and it cranked off. And it sounded like it was running, running on all cylinders. Yeah, yeah, right. I know what you're talking about. Well, yesterday when I was coming back, I noticed my cruise control wasn't working. Okay. This morning I got to start it. I turned the ignition, and all it does is make a loud, loud clanking sound. That's strange. What you need it's to do? Clank, 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 clank. That's it. Is it cranking over, Joe? Or does it sound like it's not, like it's locked up or something? No, uh-uh. I ran it yesterday. I mean, it ran fine back mm-hmm. last night. I can tell you one thing, Joe, that I haven't figured out yet, but in the last week, I've heard this story probably about 60 times and got four or five vehicles in the shop with the same problem. I'm not exactly sure what's going on yet. It seems to me it's uh, – did you recently fill the tank with gas? She did. That's yeah, right. every time if somebody just filled their tank with gas, and don't mention the brand name on the air, but if you'd send me an email, let me know what brand name you use. I'm trying to track this down. It's got to be something that's in the gas, and what it seems to do is that when the vehicle sits like overnight, it will mm-hmm. stick the valves in the engine. And you got – I mean, it's popping and spitting and carrying on and missing. Right. I've got about six of them in the shop right now, and we've had several calls on it. Like I said, I'm still working to try to trace it down. I'm going to take some fuel samples and send them off and get them analyzed. But that sure sounds like what it is. In fact, Brian, you were saying your your dad had to He called me this morning with the uh, same complaint. And actually, one of our guys at work had the same thing happen to him. On his truck. The valves were stuck in, and he took tore it down and got the valves unstuck and just running fine now. Right, and I'm not sure. You know, they're switching from winter-grade to summer-grade gas, and I'm not sure they don't have something in there that's not compatible that's causing a reaction. And, again, that's just speculation at this point. But that's, the only thing I see in common with all these vehicles is they all right. just fill their tank just before right. it happened. Right. It, it's all every, across. Every one of them. It's, it's across a, the manufacturer's yeah, lines. I've seen I Toyotas. Mean, yeah. I've seen Fords. And I've seen Chevrolet's, GMs. And yeah. I don't know. It's not a car problem. And, man, they all have the same symptoms. It seems like the valves are sticking in them for some reason. Yeah. And like I said, as soon as I know a little bit more, I'll let you know. Eventually, if you can get it to start, kind of hold it at a higher RPM, it seems to clear out. And it's okay for the rest of the day until it sits the next night. And then it right. kind of yeah, starts so up I'll the next day. I'll, I'll run at 85, 90 miles an hour, but they missed it. Yeah, right. what I would right. do, Joe, is I would go and start to dilute the gas that's in the tank with a known good gasoline. Don't 
fill it all the way up, but add some to it, go drive it as much as you can, add some more, and keep diluting it like that. And well, that's what we've done with some of the others, and then the problem went away. Well, the clanking sound, I don't want, I don't get that. It makes, when I'm turning the well, switch, it, all the other clank, clank, clank. Yeah, they do make some racket like that. I know uh, Chris at the shop said his sound like it was about to come apart. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. once we diluted the fuel, cleaned the valves, and on and on, it, it started running fine. It's been doing good ever since. So well, I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah, you may. I mean, worst case, we could always drain the fuel out of it right. and put some fresh, clean fuel in. I don't see where it is causing a huge amount of damage. Although I'm sure it will. You know, it may damage yeah. the catalytic converter or anything else. But the ones that I've checked, the valves are stuck in them and they're staying yeah. open. So it's popping and spitting and carrying on, right. and just leaning out and running like the devil. But crews get me though. I just went out all of a sudden. Yeah, and, that's and if it's probably a separate issue. It could be a separate issue. Also, if it's misfiring at a certain RPM range, it may not allow the crews to set. Right, right. So that right. may be the same thing. Okay, well, if I get it started, I'll bring it over. <laughs> I'll tow it over there. Yeah, I think it'll probably start for you, Joe, if you just kind of hold the pedal down and crank it a little bit. And at least most of them seem to be starting. And just kind of rev it up a little bit, hold it at a higher RPM. It starts clears out, and right. they tend to run. But uh, as soon as I figure out exactly what's going on with these things, I'll sure let everybody know. All right, I'll see you in email where I bought the gas. Okay, at. Joe. Okay, man. Thanks, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, Bible, we would love to have you. And we got Wayne on the line. Good morning, Wayne. Hey, Wayne, you with us? Must have lost Wayne. That was why I wasn't going to really mention anything about that right. fuel just because well, we don't have I didn't any... want to let the cat out right. of the bag just yet. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> it sure seems to be a fuel-related type it issue, does. though. And everyone that I have seen up to this point, it seems like, have just filled the fuel tank. Right. And it seems to be different stations, not just one particular brand. Yeah, I've seen it one seems brand to be across a whole the lot board. more than others, so I don't want to say anything yet because I don't right. want to besmirch anybody. But oh, yeah. when you start talking about brand names, a lot of times you have different brands produced all by one refinery. Correct. I remember a while back they had a batch of high sulfur gasoline uh-huh. that got out, and apparently the oil that they make the gasoline out of has different sulfur content and only some refineries have the capability to take all that sulfur out of the fuel. Mm-hmm. And this batch of oil got to a refinery that could not remove the sulfur content. Correct. And so a high sulfur batch of fuel went out, and it was knocking fuel level sensors out right and left. Oh, yeah, it was eating the solder joints up in them. It would. And it was, ironically, it was primarily the imported cars that you would see it with because they were still using lead solder. Correct. A lot of domestics have actually gone to silver solder, and it wasn't hurting those as much. But a lot of your import vehicles, it was eating those solder joints up and because of the sulfur that was in the fuel. And the refinery ended up paying a whole bunch of claims on those. Really? Because it was proved that, yes, this is what caused it, and they traced it back to a certain refinery. And if you could demonstrate that you had bought gas at the station that uh-huh. took gas from that refinery, yeah, they would actually pay you. And that may be what's going on here. We just don't know yet. Yeah, it's kind of ironic that this is the time of year when they're changing from winter grade to summer grade gasoline. And it could be that something in the additives is not compatible. Compatible. And when they mix it in the tank, maybe it causes something that is causing these valves to stick. Who knows? That's strictly speculation on this point. But it just seems like it's definitely a valve sticking kind of a problem. Correct. It seems to be right after a fill-up, too. Everyone that I've seen so which far that we've, we've talked got, to, like I said, about six of them in the shop, and I probably had another seven or eight people call me with the same symptom that are bringing them in next week. So Correct. 
I don't know. We'll just have to we'll see have what to see what, Yeah, see what goes on with it. Another one of those mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> you know, life isn't aggravating enough. Without, exactly. <laughs> I know, right? Without this kind of stuff coming along. So, hey, we're going to take our quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. West. Hey, Agco Automotive is here to tell you some things are too good to be true, like free beer tomorrow or lose weight on the ice cream and cheeseburger diet. Another thing too good to be true? The low price oil change. Automotive businesses will sucker you in with an under $30 oil change and then give you a huge list of recommended maintenance and repairs like flushes, brake work, rack and pinion leaks, oil leaks and more. Well, Agco says be smart. When you get the list, bring your vehicle to Agco and we'll provide you an honest evaluation of any problems you may be having. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Oh, and those beautiful models just waiting to talk to you late at night? Yeah, too good to be true. Welcome back. Just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 291 6901. That'll get you right straight to us. That's right. And if you happen to think of something after we go off the air you need an answer to, or maybe next week, you can always go to our website and get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A G C O A U T O.com. Easy way to remember that is take the acronyms Altazan's Garage Company. It'll get you to our site, and there's a contact bar on each and every page. You just fill out the form and send it on in. That's right. I'll get an answer right back to you, always within 24 hours, and most time a lot quicker than that. Just depending on when it comes in. That's right. I happen to be sitting at the computer a lot of my life, so <laughs> <laughs> if I happen to be there and a little chime goes off that I've got an email, I'll just usually get an answer right back unless yeah. i'm just in the middle of something i just can't stop doing <laughs> <laughs> like whatever uh-huh. <laughs> trying to think up a new article to put on you know those articles in the detailed topics i guess the greatest challenge is coming up with topics once sure. you can come up with a topic it's not that hard to get the information together because i've got a head full of useless knowledge <laughs> and of course the illustrations just follow the text in but it's very, very difficult coming up with ideas for new topics that folks might be interested in. Well, and now that you've got so many on, right. coming up with a new one is just... Yeah, because we've covered a vast majority of all the easy ones or the ones I can think of. So right. I guess what I'm beating around the bush at, if you've got a topic or something you would like more information on, if you send an email with the contact form, uh-huh. I'll try to address that for you. That's great. And I really appreciate it because that is the most difficult thing is just trying to think up what folks might want to read about there's several articles you could write but they're kind of boring and not real informative and that or they're so general or they are so different car to car to car that there's very little you can say Uh and that is more and more of a problem in other words if you go in and try to write an article say on transmission service there are just so many variations in transmission service you would have to write an entire article on every different model and every different make Right. To make it even meaningful, because what I might say about a Toyota Corolla will not hold true with a Toyota Camry, will not hold true with a Toyota Tundra, and certainly will not hold true with a Chevy Silverado. Exactly. Everything on it is just not very much you can say. And cars have become just so, so specialized and so, so different nowadays. Oh, I know. 
used to be you could write an article, say, on alternators, and you could say certain things, and that would be pretty much true across the board. And nowadays, you just can't do that because hardly anything you say is going to be true across the board. It's, it's going to be model-specific. Right. Everything is just very, very, very specific to models. So it gets difficult to write things that a lot of people can get information from. Right. We actually have to use service data now for a lot more things than we used to because, like you were saying, things are so different just across the board, not just alternators or transmissions, just cars in general. They are, and even models of cars, things that you thought you knew changes so much. For instance, we had a GM product come in with a 4.6 liter North Star engine. Uh Uh-huh. And the 4.6 is an engine that's been around for many years, and I thought I knew a lot about it, but this particular 4.6 is totally different. The water pump is no longer in the rear of the cylinder head. Right. It's not a transverse front of the motor. It's not a transverse engine with front wheel drive in, in this particular application. application. So it being an all-wheel drive vehicle, the engine is sitting like you would normally think an engine sits in a vehicle, mm-hmm. has a regular transmission, has drivetrain, just like a regular vehicle. I say regular vehicle. Yeah, whatever that is. <laughs> whatever that is. Huh? <laughs> but if someone asked about a water pump on a 4.6 liter Cadillac vehicle, generally you're going to think, well, yeah, the water pump's located in the back Got a side. separate belt, runs off the camshaft. Right. That's right. It's got this, its own little belt that drives it and this, takes a special tool to remove Yeah, it. this particular one did not. It was built like a regular, say, a pickup truck. You like know, the an engine, old, older style engines were right. where the water pump's on the front of the motor and driven by driven a by the, belt. the belt that drives every other appliance there. Mm-hmm. And that kind of stuff really that's why you have to have access to service data even someone like you or myself you've got probably 25 years experience i probably have 45 to 50 years experience in the industry but you just can't hardly go by that experience because they have changed up stuff so much and something you say will be wrong right just totally wrong because well and you start working on a vehicle wrong you end up in a left field somewhere you wasted a whole bunch of time before you realize hey i can't work off my memory on this one no we got to go to service data I remember back years and years ago, I guess when I was starting out, if you walk into a shop and saw a mechanic looking in a book, you were were, were in trouble. Right, right. (laughs) This guy did not know he he was was new. That's right. But nowadays, if you walk in, he's not referring to service data. You're in trouble. Yeah. Because it's sort of like a doctor, I guess. When you walk into that examination room and he comes in, he'll say, hi, Mr. Terry, I see, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Well, it's not that he can remember all that. It's just that he's got a chart on the outside of the door that he picks up and he, he reads, reads it, through before right. he walks in. <laughs> and it's the same exact thing with automobiles now. You have to go to service data, do a description of operation to see how this particular vehicle operates. Reason being, what may be a problem on one vehicle may be the way the another vehicle works. operates. Correct. And you can spend an inordinate amount of time trying to trace down a problem that is not a problem at all. It's exactly. just the way this vehicle operates. And that happens quite a bit. Sure, sure. We've got three or four different terminals and three or four different service data applications to look through mm-hmm. to get information now. That's right. Because not every program has all the information you need. That's why we have to refer to several different ones. Well, and unfortunately, not all of the service data out there is correct. I know. We have run into that, too. There are a lot of mistakes because try as they will, and I mean, they do do an excellent job, but the folks who compile all this data, they can't even keep up with it. I know. I have tried to trace a certain circuit, and it says we're supposed to have five volts on circuit C151 red wire, and you go and there is no red wire. And you find a red wire with a white trace, but it doesn't have five volts on it. Uh So is that a problem, or did they make a mistake? 
And so you go to a different aggregator of service data, uh-huh. and it says the red-white wire is not supposed to have any data. Exactly. So, which one do you believe now? So it's very, very, very frustrating for the folks who have to deal with it. But it's just the huge, huge, huge amount of information that's out, and mistakes do happen. So sure. when you are troubleshooting something and something just doesn't make sense, stop and check another source or right. call someone with experience with that particular vehicle because – I've seen that happen many, many, many times. We had a vehicle we were trying to program one time, and we were following the program procedure verbatim for a security system and could not get it to accept programming. Right. Just didn't happen. And went to another thing, and it happened to say, well, you have to bump the ignition to start for a split second before you start. Did that immediately program. But that was a omitted from the original service data. It wasn't right. in there. Somebody just didn't think they needed to put that in there. Yeah. So well, we wasted half a day. <laughs> yeah. We refer to service data, and then we actually refer to each other in the shop. That's you know, right. Somebody has more experience doing this on job a certain vehicle. on a certain vehicle than someone else, and we do a lot of that through the shop. Yeah. I tell you, nobody knows at all. I can no. guarantee you that. Let's go back to our phone lines. Wayne, good morning, Wayne. Good morning, guys. Enjoying the show. Thanks, sir. Thank you. I got 2010 Dodge Ram 1500, 133,000 miles. Okay. Took it in to get, I thought it was the brakes. They did something to the rear brakes. They mm-hmm. polished the things and did something. They were okay. And they said it's something in the rear end. You know, you can hear it better when you accelerate and slow down mm-hmm. and you hear some noises. I don't know what the heck, how to describe them, but it, there are some noises. Is it a whine noise or a pop noise? It's more of a whining noise. Whine yeah. noise? Yeah. Kind of like it's a. Good. A roar kind of noise, and when you let off, it yeah, gets better? Yeah, yes. That is almost always going to be the pinion bearing, Wayne. There's a lot of trouble with that on that vehicle. The pinion bearing will start to go bad, and what happens? The dry shaft attaches to it. It turns, and it drives another high-point gear, which is the ring gear, and is that when you apply pressure, it wants to kind of screw into the housing, and it loads up that outer bearing so it'll start making noise when you let off it kind of threads back out and relieves some of the pressure so the noise gets much better okay now, could you hold on one second i'm up against sure. a break but i'll be right back with more information okay. hey we're gonna take a quick little break be right back with more of the automotive hour good morning and welcome back to automotive maintenance school fellas good morning yesterday we left off talking about how to upsell your customers with the sneaky 24.99 oil change yeah they come in for the special and bam we hit them with other problems we just happened to find while doing the oil change <laughs> yeah and then you tell them it's a good thing you came in for our oil change special yeah you may never have known you needed all this work yeah sound like you fellas did your homework I just hope none of your customers did. (laughs) Agco Automotive has this to say about low-price oil changes. Take advantage of them. And if you get a list of recommended repairs, bring your vehicle to us for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco. It's the place to go. Because the man with the whiskers has a lot behind it, but I can't keep punching with a... Hey, welcome back to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with my co-pilot, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? And just before the break, we were talking to Wayne. Wayne's got a whining in his rear end when he accelerates. Wayne, that is a fairly big type repair you need to go in and replace the bearings in the rear end and i can tell you there's one oil that's common to all the bearings so 
when one bearing goes bad, the little filings and stuff get in the oil, and it travels to all the others. So what has to be done is you have to dissemble the entire rear end, clean everything out very, very, very well, and replace all the bearings. If you replace just the one that's bad, then the next one's going to go bad, and that one's going to go bad again, and on and on and on because they'll just keep contaminating. But kind of a biggish repair. You have to tear the entire rear end down to do it, and then it's pretty much a specialty, so you need to find a differential specialist, someone who's good at setting those gears up, because all that has to be adjusted and preset. You know, the lash on the gears now have to be set a certain way. But I would probably act on that as soon as possible, because if you let it go, you can actually end up tearing up the gears, and then the price is going to jump up six or $700 more for a set of gears. Yeah. What ballpark? Do you have any ballpark on what something? Man, like? Wayne, that could be anywhere from probably a low of about nine hundred to a thousand, up to a high of maybe fifteen or sixteen at this point. Okay. And if a set of gears go, you're going to dump another six or seven on top of that. And then if a gear breaks, tears the carrier up, you can dump another five or six on top of that. Oh. So it gets real expensive real fast. And okay. that's kind of the early warning sign when they start that whining. Okay. All righty. Okay, Wayne. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. 291-6901 is the number. You want to be part of the automotive? I would love to have you. I always hate giving people news like that. I know. I know. <laughs> you know. It's not something that's pleasant to hear, but I guess if there's any cancellation, if you act right now, you're definitely going to minimize your Oh, expenses. yes. Most definitely. If you allow it to go on, what will happen is as those bearings start to wear, the two gears move out of mesh with each other which can wear the gears, and now they'll get noisy, and noise won't go away even when you fix it. Worst case, it'll break a tooth. When a tooth breaks off, it's a hardened piece of metal going around basically in a closed container with gears. Correct. Basically a monkey wrench in the gear works, literally. And if a hardened piece of material gets between two gear teeth and they go around, I mean, the entire force of that engine and the weight of that truck are driving it, it's going to be catastrophic. Oh, yeah. And... If you're lucky, it just tears the carrier up and doesn't go through the case or warp the case or something like that. I have seen that happen. It can literally break the case or break the housing on the rear axle, and now you've got something that can't even be repaired. You're into replacement. Right. And there was a time when you could go out and buy a used rear differential out of a vehicle and get a pretty good product at a pretty reasonable price. But if you've checked that lately, those prices have absolutely skyrocketed like everything else. I noticed that. Well, salvage yards have to pay so much for salvage now because as the price of cars goes up, the value goes up, so people are fixing more things, so there's fewer cars in the salvage yards, and just the value of salvage goes up because the price of parts go up. Right. But you can very easily pay twelve to $1,500 for a used rear axle now. Exactly, and I you remember, may, may end up with one that's whining on acceleration when well, you get it put in. you could get one that's also bad. You could get one that's coming out of a wrecked vehicle in many cases, so you can get one the housing's bent. Right. We've seen that. It's always a gamble when you're dealing with a used component, and unfortunately, you generally have to put it completely together and in the vehicle before you can check it. Exactly. I mean, you could pull the rear cover and look inside, and if the gears are rusty or something like that, you'd know. But right. if it's just a bad bearing without dissembling it, you're not going to know if there's actually a problem until it's all the way without, in and put together. Right. Remember, we used to buy used rear ends for two to $300 on it all the time. Oh, all day long. No big deal. But the last one I bought, I think I bought one for a Chevy Suburban. Like you said, the housing was damaged on here, so it wasn't rebuildable. And we paid about $1,500 for a wow. used rear end. And then I had to go through it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) On top of that. So, hey, let's go back to the phones with Bob. Good morning, Bob. Hey, good morning, Lewis. I just wanted to give a plug to our AACA chapter car show coming up Sunday, March 30th. Okay. That's okay. It'll be our fifth annual Baton Rouge Spring Car Show. Okay. 
It's also a point-earning event for members of the AACA, which is Antique Auto Club of America. Mm-hmm. Car show is open to all models and years. Everybody is welcome. And it is in conjunction with the 12th annual Baton Rouge Spring Garden Show. Oh, okay. Where is it going to be held? At the John M. Parker Coliseum on Highland Road. Yeah, out at LSU. Yes, at LSU parking lot adjacent to that Coliseum. Okay, and what's the cost for entering? For the spectators, there's no cost. Okay. If you're going to enter a car, they have $25. Uh, Judging is from noon until 1 o'clock, or to 2 o'clock on Sunday. And all models and years are welcome. Okay, so basically anything from the first car to... The last car? <laughs> What's the cutoff? I know it's antique cars or vintage cars. The antique cars are 25 years and older. They don't have to be antique. They can be collector cars, special mm-hmm. cars. Okay. So yeah. if someone has just a really nice car, a car they've customized or whatever, even if it's a new model, they can still turn out with it. Yes. Okay. Cool. In conjunction with also the Kiwanis nationally sanctioned Louisiana State Chili Cook-Off. All right. <laughs> Well, there you go. That sounds like a good whole day of fun. And, again, it's going to be on a Sunday, so it doesn't conflict with other car shows. Now, the garden show, I think, goes on, starts on a Friday and Saturday. I'm not sure. Okay. The car show is just on Sunday. Okay, and give the date again, Bob. March 30th, 2014. Okay, so that's basically next Sunday, not tomorrow, but the following Sunday. Not this one, but the next Sunday. That's correct. Okay. Well, I appreciate you calling in. All right. Bob, thanks for calling, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. We're going to take our last quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Mike, how are you and things at the dealership's maintenance department? Dave, things are great. You guys still running that low-priced $24.99 oil change at your place? Oh, yeah. Folks come in, and we just... Happened to find a ton of other stuff wrong with their car. <laughs> Works, don't it? Sometimes when it's a woman, I make something up like, your flux capacitor has a leak. Yeah, or your strepanoid filter head needs to be replaced. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I gotta write that down. Agco Automotive wants to let you know how to stick it to the low price oil chain shops. Go get the oil change and then take your vehicle and their list of recommended repairs to Agco for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. And we'll fix only that. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Althazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, I think we can ask just about any automotive question you might have. There you go. Just give us a call. The number is 291-6901. That's right. And a 225 will get you to us from anywhere in the continental United States That's this morning. That's right. Put you right up straight at the top of the list because right now all our lines are wide open. We still got a good bit of oh, time. Oh, yeah. Left. We still got time to answer several questions. That's right. So why don't you give us a call and be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. We were talking a second ago about the detailed topics and stuff right. on the website. And I put one on this morning, which is a follow-up to the one I ran last week. And that's on water getting into the interior of a car. The passenger compartment. That's correct. Of course, last week we talked a little bit about the HVAC system, the air conditioning, and the heater can leak into the car. Correct. But also, rainwater can get in, and when you wash the car, water can get in. So there are other 
things that are different from the HVAC system. And the difference will be that these type leaks, you will notice water getting in the car when it rains or when you wash, wash the it, car. but not other times. Correct. And that's a little bit different procedure for tracking down and correcting. And I listed several sources where water gets into cars. And what most people like to do is they look at the great big openings like the doors and the trunk. And they look at those great big rubber gaskets. Right. And, oh, that's got to be it. That's big. It's right in my face. That's got to be it. <laughs> that's not normally it. Very rarely is that actually the case of the leak. Even when they're torn or damaged, they just don't leak a whole lot because there's normally a drip rail or the car is designed in such a way that the water doesn't get to that seal a whole lot. Right. It's more of a wind seal than a wind water and noise seal. seal. Although right. it does seal water. It but does. Most of the time, replacing that seal is not going to fix your problem. But this gives you a procedure that you can use to check even those seals before you go and just spend a bunch of money changing them because those are not inexpensive. No, they're not. They're, they're fairly easy to change because they are on the outside. Mm-hmm. And most of the time they are just attached with a push pin. Or glue the, adhesive. The glue ones are a little more difficult to replace because you have to set the glue right. You have to put it on both pieces and then let it tack and then put it on and hope that it stays in the right place. Mm-hmm. But the little push pins, you know, you just go through and you pull the old ones out and you push the new ones in, and those are pretty much a cakewalk to do. But Yeah, but those gaskets can easily cost $100 plus, some of them two or $300, and if it's not going to fix the problem, it's certainly not money you want to spend. Exactly. For instance, the ones around the trunk lid on cars that have trunks or the hatch on a car with a hatchback, that water is coming off the roof. It's running down because that's what water does. It uh-huh. always runs down. It's traveling pretty fast, and if you ever notice, there are little channels on either side. The water is going to basically go down that channel. It's not going to want to come up the channel and go past that gasket and get into the car. Unless there is something that is blocking the water from going through the channel. That is correct. Or the gasket is just totally missing or something. Water will overflow and splash in. But that is probably a less likely source of water getting into the car. Now, some of the more likely stuff that we do see... Particularly on older vehicles, the door hinges pass through the body of the car where they bolt it up. Now, the newer cars, the hinges are largely welded on. We don't have that problem anymore. But on the older cars, they bolt it up. And what would happen is that maybe the door over the year, the hinge would wear some. And so someone would go in, loosen the bolts up, shift the hinge to allow for the wear, get the door open and closed and fine, which solved the problem. But they didn't think about resealing that hinge. Right. There's usually a little bead of caulk right across the top of it. That's correct. And caulk around each of the bolts on it. And what happens when the rain runs down off the roof, down the cow, it will run down on that hinge, kind of puddle up, and it'll find its way inside. Oh, definitely. And that's coming out under the cow or kick panel inside the car, but it may run out. You may see a wet spot just anywhere and not ever realize where it's getting in. Well, sure. Once it hits that carpet jute, it starts to wick. And then that, that jute wicks that water, mm-hmm. and it can take it literally anywhere in the car. I've seen it wick water up the transmission tunnel before. Oh, yeah. You may see water in the back seat that's coming in in the front somewhere. Right. Another place where we see a lot of leaks is where the taillights attach to the body. Correct. Because taillight housing usually has bolts that pass through the body, and those are sealed when they come from the factory. There's usually a little rubber seal on the stud itself where mm-hmm. it seals against the body. But over time, those little seals wear down or they break or they dry rot and then when you take the unit out if Mm -hmm. one happens to fall off you put it back on Mm -hmm. the seal is gone so that water finds its way in through that little bolt and before you know it the the little well that holds the spare tire is full of water that's right because folks may remove that to change the light bulbs or whatever possibly one of the seals falls on the ground they don't notice it they go put it all back together and now 
it may be two weeks, three weeks, a month before it rains hard, but when it does, and then it may be a week or two before they open the trunk and look inside, now they've got water in the trunk, no one remembers changing that light bulb at that point. Exactly. But that's a real, real big leak spot because what happens is that water's running right down, it hits that light housing and puddles up, and it's going to just wick its way right on in. Right. And that can fill your trunk with water really, really quick. Well, I can tell you, water's going to win. <laughs> if water didn't win, we wouldn't have a Grand Canyon. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, water will win every single time. So good article. You might prevail yourself of it, www.agcoauto.com. And we're going back to the phone lines with Tim. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, Lewis. Good morning, Brian. How are you guys doing? Doing great, Good sir. morning. Good. I saw on your website checking out the head gasket checker. Okay. Uh, I guess you uh-huh. guys use some hydrocarbon tester yes sir that's one way Mm -hmm. yeah i was just wondering how because i tried to look at some companies for that specific tester and they said it's not available they basically test for i guess it's carbon dioxide is that the same thing or yeah well it's checking for hydrocarbons any hydrocarbon in the coolant is going to turn the fluid fluid a different color it's sort of blue when it comes out of the bottle and it'll turn it yellow it turns yellow in the presence of hydrocarbons so yeah carbon dioxide would be a hydrocarbon so yeah that would do it the stuff that we use is specifically made to test Het gaskets. We purchased that, I think, through through one of the tool distributors. One of the tool distributors, right. like Snap On or Matco, okay. one of those guys. Yeah, there, there's looking, several of them out. Okay, perfect. Because yeah, because I was looking online and they said that you would have to get an expensive analyzer. And I just no, no, that, you know, no, no. These okay. are very inexpensive. I want to say I don't twenty, remember. thirty dollars for the tool, and then the chemical is probably twenty or thirty dollars. But you can reuse it over and again. And now that's not a definitive test, right. Tim. That's an indication. In other words, a positive means you definitely have a problem, but a negative right. doesn't necessarily mean you don't have a problem. Okay. Because okay. it can give a false negative. It's not a 100% perfect test. So, like I said, if it does come back positive, you definitely have a problem. But a negative doesn't necessarily mean you don't have a problem. Just like if I check your blood pressure and it's sky high, I know you have a problem. But if you have normal blood pressure, it doesn't mean you're perfectly healthy. Right. You can have gotcha. a problem that's just not showing up. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thanks for your help. Okay, appreciate Tim, right. where are you calling from, Tim? From Northern California. All, All right. right. Well, Great. Good deal. I appreciate your call. All right. Thanks, Liz. Thanks, appreciate Tim. It. Bye-bye. 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 291-6901 is the number. If you want to part of the automotive aisle, we would love to have you. We've got Stephen online. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Lewis. Thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. I have a, a Nissan Xterra 2005. Okay. And it's generally been doing well all around, but now we've developed a problem here where at about 40 miles an hour, maybe around up to 50, it'll just start shaking, and you kind of feel it in the steering wheel, Mm -hmm. Okay. and this is an intermittent problem, comes and goes. What are we looking at? let me tell you, the, the best thing you can do is go to my website and just type in the word vibration on the search bar, and there's a two-part article in there on how to isolate a vibration. And basically, with any vibration, they're all the same as far as finding them. You have to see what affects the vibration. In other words, if I accelerate, does it get worse or does it get better? If the answer is yes, you could go after one series of things. If the answer is no, you go after a totally different series of things. Another test is to get up above the range where it's shaking, put it in neutral, and let it coast back through that range to see if the vibration is still there. Uh-huh. And, of course, there's a number of tests, but if you go in and read those two articles, you're going to know more than probably 90% of the people around about vibrations. And this doesn't tell you technical details about repairing things, but it will tell you how to know what's causing the vibration, whether it's a suspension problem or a driveline problem or an engine running problem and on and on. 
So if you just go to the website, go to the search bar, just type in vibration. And real, real good article. It would take me an hour and a half to go over the stuff that's in that article. <laughs> right. I'm, and, and so I'm definitely going to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's not a subtle thing. It's a pretty distinct okay. you know, mm-hmm. vibration. Yes, sir. Well, again, um, just go in and see what affects it. If, yes, you know, right. if you let off the gas, does it get better or does it get worse? Right. I'm definitely going to read that article mm-hmm. and, and follow the directions there. But let me tell you, we tried to bring it into a shop, mm-hmm. and they couldn't duplicate it. You okay. know, it was mm-hmm. one of those things again. Yes, sir. So if we brought it into you guys, mm-hmm. would y'all... It's going to be the same situation, Stephen. Right. If we can't duplicate it, then there's not going to be a way to know what it is. Uh-huh. Things that come and go are generally going to be engine running or driveline related because suspension problems normally if something is wrong let's say we've got an out around tire or a bad tire it's not going to get good it's going to be bad it's going to stay bad right so those sorts of things are generally going to be something like an engine misfire that comes and goes and i know it doesn't feel like that but on the newer vehicles misfires do not feel like misfires they feel like vibrations so it could be something like that it could even be something in the transmission it's going to be one of those things you can have to kind of watch it a little bit and see if you can determine a pattern. In other words, it does it every time I do, yeah, 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 yeah. And then try to duplicate that problem. And if you can duplicate that problem, then right. you have then you have time to take it to the shop and duplicate it with the technician. Right, because you could spend a lot of money with them driving cars around right. and not being able to find it. What I would want to do is put you in the car with Brian and y'all both go drive the vehicle and you say, hey, there it is, that's it. And that way I can find it. I can go right to it. It's going to save you a ton of money. That's what I was wondering. You know, how could we help identify it? So, Mm -hmm. like, we could show up over there. That is correct. uh, And and do you need an appointment for that? It would be best, yes, because we stay real, real busy. And if you just drop in, I mean, they'll try to put you in the next available spot, but that might be two days before I can get to it. I may have 40 cars on the lot. So call Uh Elaine, set up an appointment, and she can have an exact time, and I'd have a man free when you get there. Uh-huh, right, and then they would go driving with Correct, correct, to, correct. To, to, all right, that sounds good. And if we just can't duplicate it, there are certain things I can check that would, at least I can eliminate these as possibilities. I may not be able to narrow it down to a specific thing, but I can say, well, we know it's not this, it's not this, it's not this. There are certain things we can check, simple things, but I wouldn't want to spend a lot of money looking if I couldn't actually duplicate the problem. Right, and then you guys do work on Nissan. Yes, sir. Yes, I can sir. do anything on that vehicle. Okay, okay, great. This was very, very helpful. Thank you. All right, thank you're you. welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. 291-6901. I think we can sneak one more call in. We've got Robert on the line. Good morning, Robert. Good morning. Great show. Thank, thank you. you. I got a question about, about Lexus. My mom's 2000 LS Lexus that's got right at uh, 97,000 miles okay. on it. And she's never changed the timing belt. I'm wondering, well, why hadn't nothing gone wrong on it yet? <laughs> Because the timing belt hadn't stretched or broke yet. <laughs> but when it does, yeah, it's going to be a very expensive repair. Yeah, it'll be a new engine on that one, Robert, because the timing belt should have been changed at seven years, regardless of the mileage. And there's the miles are not as important as the years, because right. a piece of rubber starts to break down the day it's made. And yeah, if it jumps, <laughs> yeah, if it jumps timing, you know, some people just get lucky. I mean, right. it's kind of like the guy who smokes five pack cigarettes a day for. 40 years never has a problem but then all of a sudden both his lungs go away so it's one of those things that it's like a pendulum hanging over your head swinging back and forth it's going to break and when it breaks it's going to be catastrophic i mean it'll basically total the car so it's one of those things you you can't just let go it's going to have to be done it's just part of owning the car so it's a consumable part and when it breaks it's going to number one it's going to leave her stranded somewhere which is probably going to scare her more than anything else but uh it'll also destroy the engine all right, well, thank you. I'm, I'm going to try to convince her. Okay, All right, Robert. Sir. Thanks for calling, All man. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Boy, we have just about used up a whole nother good hour. That's it. And I'll tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends, go to iTunes and Stitcher and give us a written rating. Yeah, I got a couple of good ratings last week. Great. And really appreciated that. I wish you'd go in there and tell us what you think. There you go. There you go. <laughs> hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.